And we're back. It's the Graphic Content Podcast. Adam, we have hit double digits. Episode 10. Is this like a 10th anniversary? No, it's just the 10th episode, dude. Oh, okay. I guess that's fair <laughs> enough. As I alluded to it, that's the voice of Adam Messinger. My name is Jim Mason, and as promised on our last episode, we are here to talk all things Iron Fist. Now that we had a chance to get that that ugly Marvel, you know, yeah, that's out summit. of our system. Boy, that was poison, wasn't it? Uh, it really was, and uh, it didn't seem like it. You know, I'm not. I don't want to, uh, you know, revisit it too much, but I do want to say this: there have been subsequent articles that have come out, uh, both on Bleeding Cool and ICV2. And CBR's even tackled it. CBR's finally gotten on board with it and realizing just how tone-deaf Marvel was during that thing. And I'm just saying, maybe read the articles and see that, that Marvel isn't straying too far from their original positioning yeah. on things, as as described in the ICV2 article, now, not, not the bleeding cool hit piece, as, as I like to call it. As an addendum, mm-hmm. I will give them credit. They r- decided they're going to reinstate the, the digital... Uh, the digital codes uh, for the book that you buy uh, instead of three random books. And you're going to get one of those like special uh, first issues or whatever. Uh, Which I think is a great idea. I mean, you know, they've needed to do something for retailers um, because, you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about in the past episode was the digital disparity, you know. And, um, you know, so I think that's a nice incentive that they're throwing the retailers way. Um, but and David I, Gabriel had got before that had gone out of his way to take care of specific customers. Yes, that as long as they scan their receipt uh, and and send it to him, he would send them digital codes personally. Yeah, and he personally called customers. So yeah. while David Gabriel was not necessarily, um, I think, receiving the right message. Or interpreting the message right. right from the sales of of October and the sales that have dropped since, uh, the fact that he listens to the customer when they personally talk to him tells me that he has a pretty good radar if he has that direct communication. And and I also wanted to say that uh, David Gabriel seemed to have a much more measured response when you read it in the in the in the framing of the ICV two article both before and, uh, you know, excuse me, during the Retailer Summit piece, as well as the subsequent interview that he did. Uh, and I've only heard that he's a real mensch. I mean, he's a good dude. Um, so, you know, kudos to him for that. I do have to say Axel Alonso uh, is now uh, hidden away in the Alonso cave right now. I was going to say, he's been totally radio silent, yep. which is probably the best thing he could do until this blows over. I, I really feel like he needs to STFU for a bit. And in if you are listening, because I'm pretty sure that the entire comics industry listens to our podcast, Adam. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll let they you do. live in, with those ro- rose-colored glasses. Hey, they, they make everything look better. Yeah. Um, you know, if 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 there was a chance that Axel Alonso was listening, dude, we still think you are a quality creator. We still think you have an editorial voice. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's been it's fallen a little flat in recent years, but you have done tremendous work in your in your history and your career, and you can get back to it. You just got to take your own blinders off and see the field for what it is versus just what you want to see in it. Yeah, apologize to the artists, and I think um, 
making a little, I think making a uh, penance with uh, a little more art focused, maybe one or two art focused projects, or just showing uh, the creators a little more value financially. Uh, that, you know, I think both of those things would work, but hopefully he's able to uh, rectify all that personally with the, the people that he, he uh, definitely offended that worked for him. Well, I kind of hope that that is actually the case. Um, I do hope that uh, our friend uh, Mr. Alonzo understands that, uh, that there's fans on, uh, of teams, there's fans of just artists, there's fans of just writers, that it's not about one or the other, but you can't have it just one way. You know, and I, I think to dismiss uh, writers, or excuse me, dismiss artists, let me correct myself, out of hand, uh, was the wrong way to go. Um, it'd be nice if he would come up for air, but hey, like you said, you know, he can definitely lay low until this blows over and somebody else uh, says something incredibly stupid at another yeah, comic company. Yeah, I was going to say, sure, I'm sure Dan DiDio's chomping at the bit. He's like, I can't believe I'm not the one who fucked up this time. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know... <laughs> If only Roy Thomas had spoken this week instead of a couple weeks ago. Oh, Roy. Uncle Uh, Uncle Roy. Speaking of of comic creators that put their their foot in their mouth. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about Roy Thomas later in this podcast because we are going to switch gears to Iron Fist. But let's just let it just be said that Roy Thomas, if there was a comic creator Hall of Fame, like a real Hall of Fame, like in Cincinnati for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he'd be in it. I Cleveland, mean, Cleveland for Cleveland, Rock, Rock Cincinnati. and Roll Hall God, of Fame. Fuck, I can't believe. Cin- yeah, Cincinnati. They I was, don't really have a whole lot. They don't, and I sh- and you know what's funny is they I, even I lost CincyCon. I know, and I I actually flashed to Drew Carey who if, who if he was sitting here right now would probably punch me in the face. As so. somebody that's a native of that area, are you a native? Yeah, I didn't visited, know that. Yeah, I've visited the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like I've done all that, so I'm just kind of like, what the fuck is up with your geography? I, I, it was a Freudian slip. Nothing else. Much respect to, to Cleveland, and hey, Cincinnati, you're great too. Just not as great as Cleveland. So anyway, <laughs> um, now that I've offended an entire city, let's move on to the core of our little podcast here today and adam we are talking about the one the only daniel rankai as he is known in marvel comics aka the iron fist yes i'm very excited about this i uh, reread the entire immortal iron fist series uh the immortal weapons all that i really really enjoyed it I plan on definitely jumping into the Chris Claremont, John Byrne stuff after this. I've been eating and breathing Iron Fist for about the last two weeks as much as I possibly can in my free time. And I have been on a total Star Wars binge right now, so I have not reread any Immortal Iron Fist or other Iron Ah, Fist properties. But let it be known right here that Iron Fist is my favorite Marvel Comics character. Really? Period. End of sentence. I, um, I told you my first comic book, I think it was four or five years old, when X-Men number 100 came out, mm-hmm. Claremont and Cockrum. Well, one of my comics that I remember after that, might have been like six or seven, was one of, if it was not the last issue, it was like the second to last issue, where it was a crossover between Iron Fist and the X-Men of the time. It was during the Claremont burn run of X-Men. Wait, they crossed paths? They crossed paths, because guess who were roommates? Misty Knight and Jean Grey. Oh, that's right. I do remember that from the time. Yeah, when Jean Grey graduated the Xavier School, what'd she do? She didn't go to college. She decided she wanted to try her hand at being a fashion model. 
and did very, very well. Um, you know, even in those times, being able to afford an upscale uh, loft with Misty Night in the in seventies Manhattan. So uh, it was I, I that was my first exposure to Iron Fist was through my love of the X Men comics. And I'm like, what this book is ending? Oh well, at least I get Cyclops in the gang. I like that Wolverine guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Actually, I was more of a Nightcrawler kid than a Wolverine guy. Really, I liked Wolverine. Don't get me wrong, but Cyclops, Nightcrawler. Storm, I mean, they were my characters, but Iron Fist was a character for me that uh, I just, I, I loved the fact that there was this guy who had super-powered kung fu. That was, his, that was his superpowers. And being a kid who grew up in the late 70s and early 80s, well, I was really young at that time, but through the 80s, um, there would be... Um, action movie or action theaters uh, type shows on Saturday mornings and early afternoons. Sonny Chiba movies? But anyway, there there was lots of, you know, the early Jackie Chan stuff. That that Uh, stuff was so crazy. It was just nuts. The Shaw Brothers films, the Shaw Brothers Studios films. You know, which was, you know, everything from You Killed My Father, Prepared to Die, you know, years before they set it in Princess Bride to, uh, I remember this film called Super Ninjas. Where it very was, apt name. It was very apt because it was a, it was a Chinese film, Hong Kong film, and the hero uh, had to fight ninjas and superpowered ninjas invading from Japan, and everything was done on interior sets. But they did the thing of like you know the ninjas hiding underwater with the bamboo reeds that they'd breathe through. That's crazy. And you know, and then they jump out of the water in these blue ninja costumes, and then the blue ninjas near like the volcano pits. You know, they were wearing <laughs> red costumes, and like the lead ninja, get this, the lead ninja um, was in like a tan or brown ninja costume, and he was like he was almost invulnerable to pain. This is this what is, the hell? Like, this when is, did brown or tan just become like no, the no, symbol no? Of I power. haven't even gotten to. Oh fuck that! You haven't even realized the the madness of this movie yet is that when he was being overpowered by this Chinese, I think he was a CIA, which was a, like a, the, the Chinese knights, the paladins, that would just run around the countryside and mete out justice to those needed, needing it. When he was being overpowered by the Chinese swordsman, you know what he did? What? He turned into a meteor and flew away. What the fuck? I'm telling you the truth, <laughs> what? dude. Anybody, look it up. It's The movie is fucking called Super Ninjas. He turned into it, a meteor? He, turned in, he said, peace out, motherfucker. Went, boom. <laughs> shot himself off the planet <laughs> using the power of ninjutsu um and that's the stuff that fueled my love for iron fist i ain't I, gonna lie i wish i fucking had that superpower right don't yeah. sometimes don't you just want to turn in a meteor and say peace out uh, yeah uh, oh know? yeah constantly and, and that that was my childhood every every saturday watching you know first there were saturday morning cartoons and then it was like action, action theater or martial arts movie uh, mania or whatever they called it with all these cheap, low budget, but incredibly choreographed and wonderful martial arts films. And one of my favorite comics of that day was written by a dude named Jim Owsley with art by Mark Bright, who uh, both go by different names now. Uh, Jim Owsley is better known as the creator Christopher Priest 
who uh, is writing a little book called Deathstroke right now. Yes, kind of had a legendary run on Black Panther. Uh, Co-creator of uh, Quantum and Woody, which is going to be turned into a movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, so he had his... And this is back during the height of Valiant's power in the 90s. You know, when even as Valiant started to slip quality-wise, like Quantum and Woody was this comedy book that just had stayed the course and was just great all the time. But these two guys also did this little book called Power Man and Iron Fist. I remember uh, Priest talking about that in an interview. Yeah. So both Power Man, which was originally known as Luke Cage Hero for Hire, but then become Power Man, as well as Iron Fist, both were at the height of their sales um, capabilities for Marvel Comics, like in the mid-1970s. You know, um, Iron Fist captured the martial arts craze, you know, like Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris films, okay, so stuff you've like got that. The, the kung fu craze meets uh, blaxploitation. Exactly. You know, guys who are into, like, Jim Brown, Pam Greer movies, you know, like Foxy Brown and and uh, all those, Superfly and all those Shaft, great, all, Shaft, the, all, all that. that shit. So they said, okay, so that we we've ridden that wave as long as we can we can ride it however we both love these characters they those characters were loved in the marvel comics offices so it was kind of a Reese's peanut butter cup of superheroes at oh, the moment. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, I, I'm going to go with the obvious metaphor. You got the chocolate of Luke Cage, and you got the peanut butter of Danny Rand. Don't shake your head at me. <laughs> and they, then they slapped the two together, yeah. and it became this tasty morsel every month. I mean, every 30 days, you got a new adventure of Power Man and Iron Fist. Um, what they did was they retitled Power Man's book to Power Man Iron Fist. And then with, they slipped Iron Fist in there. Yeah, so they they got together, I was reading online, that they got together in issue 47. Um, they had a three-part team up. They decided to be that they were best friends, that they, they loved hanging out <laughs> with Did we each. just become best friends? Just because, and then, but you're a white dude, but you're a black guy. Hey, Ebony and Ivory, you know, and then yeah. they decided, you know, to uh, open up, you know, the heroes for hire business as a Which, partnership. If you're a fucking billionaire or in that time, millionaire, right. why are you doing that and not just fucking giving your buddy some money? Well, can I tell you what I think? I think it was because Danny Rand is a man of the people. It was sort of a Chinese thing because in a lot of the, in a lot of the, um, I brought that term Xie movies, mm-hmm. um, the, the Chinese, you know, swordsman movies is that they just did good to do good. You know, and it was it was just that sort of thing. Now, well, if you're doing good to do good, then why the fuck are you charging money? Well, that was an interesting part of it. I didn't capture that as a child, and and I and I should reexamine that through uh, Marvel Comics Unlimited. I would say, yeah. And and I want to go back and read those now because I I remember just digging it. You know, it, what it did though, story wise though, is that somebody came to them with the problem instead of having to create this sort of organic. Thing you know, like in the X Men books, you had to create this soap opera between the characters, and then you'd have the soap opera between the villains, and then the villains and the heroes would have their soap opera. Then they'd fight every so often, and it, it was a lot to arrange. And superhero comics, look, they've been doing this for for almost a hundred years at this point. Jesus Christ! I mean, it's hard to think about in that yeah. those terms, you know. Um, but that's another episode, right? Yeah, there. but. But they had to, for story purposes, come up with kind of a new and organic way for how they would fight the superpowered menace of the Ark. And, you know, one of the things that they haven't done, 
was, um, you know, the sort of private eye for hire sort of thing. And you ask, why would a millionaire want to do that? I would posit that Daniel Rand, I mean, let's be honest, he was a bored young millionaire. You That's know, true. He was very a, bored. You know, he wasn't the driven vigilante of a Batman. You know, he wasn't that kind of guy. Yeah, who, and if you're doing, you got the offices open, you got the problems coming to you instead of you having to go find them. And if I remember correctly, there were problems that followed him from Rand Corporation, or Rand Meacham was the name of the corporation of the Marvel U. There, those problems followed him, and, and you know, Jaron Hogarth, was, who's a male in the Marvel Comics uh, runs of Iron Fist. Holy, I never fuck. I I never fucking put that together. Yeah, I never put that together. Okay, and then you just put that together for me, like, oh, okay, so Jerry is actually Jaron. Jaron, yeah. Okay, yeah, but it was, it, it, but it was a completely organic replacement. There was nothing dependent on the character being a male in the TV series. Yeah, you know, and Carrie Ann Moss, Carrie Ann Moss, Moss, right? Oh, she fucking kills it. She's. Awesome. I love her so much. But anyway, it just gave a great starting point for adventures is, you know, somebody comes in, they have a problem. Who do they have a problem with? Yeah, we got a problem with the supervillain. What? Well, there's these two heroes for hire that you can yeah. you, you can go down and the rates are fairly reasonable and they never overcharged anybody. They only charge people what they could afford. So don't tell me that some of Danny's money didn't go to meet the bottom line okay, of the overhead yeah. at the end of the month. Um, and that book went on for 50 issues. It went on for Jeez. quite, I mean, when you consider it was an eight, nine year run of a comic book. That's pretty successful. That's pretty successful. And when they, they finally came to the point where it was time to end the book because the sales just weren't there, Jim Owsley did something that was never done before. Or I should say, never done in modern comics up until that point. And that was, he's pu- he pulled the trigger on one of the two main characters and had the main character killed. At which point, fanboys around the world got these things called pieces of paper and pencils, and they wrote letters at him. They're like, what? They're like emails, but analog. I don't. I, I can't even. Und- I can't grasp and then, that concept. So you fold the piece of paper after you write your note, like you would on on your email, and then you would put it in a thing called an envelope, and then take this thing called a stamp, and then you put it in a mailbox, and somebody takes that physical piece of mail across the country to the Marvel Comics offices. Did they? Now they knew how to open these, right? They knew how to how to like oh, they, process them mentally oh, yeah. and physically. It's it's an it was an amazing sight to behold the amount of manpower, and you can still do this today. Did you know that? No, the yeah. only thing I thought the mail was good for was bringing me fucking comic books that I missed out on in original art and video games and shit. Yeah, no, it's good for bringing you messages from people as well. Just it takes a while, huh? Oh, that's why I get that shit with, like, people, like, oh, pay me or whatever. Right. Bills? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like mail. I just thought it was somebody nagging me. I didn't realize, like, it was actually important. Yeah, people are actually trying to communicate with you. Oh. So, anyway, they got letters from fanboys who were just enraged around, how could you do that? That was senseless. It It didn't serve the character. There was no end to his story arc. And Jim Owsley, later known as Christopher Priest, said... You know what? Death is senseless. You know, sometimes murder and or or someone being killed makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I wanted to leave the readers feeling that. 
and mission success, mission success. And talk about a brave choice. I mean, when you're going to end a book, you know, that Marvel editorial said, no, we're, we don't want to keep Iron Fist in the can, you know, to use somewhere else. No, they were like, fuck it, go for it. The story's fantastic, write it. And then what happened? Well, what happened was... They didn't, like, burn bring him back in fucking, like, Namor or some crazy Let's go ass. to the epilogue of that series, though, okay. real, clear, real quick. In the epilogue of that series, what happens? What happens is, is that the police start to look at Luke Cage for being the one who killed Iron Fist because he was put through a wall by a guy named Captain Hero. Captain L- Hero? Captain Hero. Long story short... Kid gets hit with rays from a meteorite, not the Super Ninja meteorite, but gets hit with the with with a meteorite, which gave him superpowers, the ability to transform into an adult version of himself, kind of like Shazam. Okay. And um, the problem was is is that he would kind of get these bad headaches and he'd be going crazy. And a doctor came up with the the diagnosis that the kid was dying from these powers because they were delivered via radiation. So the kid was lying dying in the hospital, and you know he had become kind of a friend of Power Man and Iron Fist. And Iron Fist was sitting in the hospital, you know, sitting next to him on his deathbed, you know, next to him while this kid is laying dying on his deathbed. But he has a seizure, turns into Captain Hero again, and is angry at the fact that he is going to die, and punches Iron Fist through a wall, killing him. Wow. Did he punch like a hole through Iron Fist or just through the wall? All that was left when because they did this sort of side angle shot, there was like the crater in the wall. Yeah. And Iron Fist's lifeless legs just hanging out of it. Wow. Okay. And so that there was stuff a, like that is great in comics because it leaves it to the imagination. Exactly. But there was no mistaking that there was a body. So it wasn't one of superhero deaths like he turned him in the mist. And it's like, oh, no, Captain Hero used his telekinetic powers to atomize Iron Fist, who took 20 years to reintegrate his atoms like Dr. Manhattan. No, none of that shit. He punched a hole through his fucking chest, pounding him through a wall, and then the kid died. Wow. I that's mean, crazy. You want to talk about dark shit. Now, at the but of course, you know, they thought the kid didn't have his powers, that they, they thought the kid was dying. So Luke Cage was waiting in the hallway outside at the time. He came in. Then the police came in after that. So the police think he's murdered his best friend and business partner, Iron Fist, which what does it do? It puts Luke Cage on the run from the law again. So, And that's how they leave the book. The book is Luke Cage is being framed for the murder of his best friend, Danny Rand, how do you fucking leave a book like that? That just sounds ripe with like story, and, right? Yeah, I, I don't. And and this is where my gaps in col- comics knowledge comes out. Is I don't know about other Luke Cage appearances in the 1980s, but I can tell you that John Byrne brought the character back in 1991 in the Namor the Submariner series that he wrote and drew and came up with just one crazy fucking concept after another with. Did, did you ever read any of those? No, I haven't. Anymore? I wanted to because I know Jay Lee kind of got to start doing that oh, series too. That was that was like after the John Byrne. I mean, John Byrne was writing it, and then Jay Lee took over the artwork, and then it became even crazier, but it was all wonderful. Even the Byrne stuff was really cool. And John Byrne admits to having, uh, you know, having a lot of good feelings about Iron Fist, and he was left dissatisfied by the way Owsley killed him. 
So that's understandable. I mean, a lot of people were right from I mean, what you said. Yeah, there was fanboy out. It was like one of the first in- instances of fanboy outrage. At least that was documented to that to that extent. And so, what do they do? Well, there were. I'm laughing right now, and I probably shouldn't, but, you know, John Bird, God bless him. He is just, he's a kook. (laughs) I won't, I won't deny that. I will not deny that. I've visited the Burn Robotics board. So I went, Burn Robotics, holy shit, it has been years since I've been on this book. If you want to see how Iron Fist died, as well as how he was reborn, CBR has it on the Abandoned and Forsaken column. Do you remember that? Yeah, I I love that. Well, they literally put up every panel between the last issue of Iron Fist dying in Power Man Iron Fist number 100 to Namor the Submariner. I'm going to have to to go down here a little bit. I want to say this is Namor number 8. So, yeah, for four years, I mean, Iron Fist was dead. Right? Okay. Wow. Four years. That's like a million in current comic in book years. In current comic book time. I mean, now granted, Captain Marvella just died just a few years before. I want to say it was like 82 or 83. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then a few years later, Iron Fist. So we're thinking, wow, Marvel Comics, they're when they bust a cap in a character, they are done, right? Well, not for John Byrne. John Byrne created this crazy-ass story. Apparently, there was a story where Power Man and Iron Fist go to space. What the fuck? I don't understand. Again, I need to reread all this shit, right? So anyway, there's... I don't I don't even know how... Okay, I'm just going to fucking... Okay, so out of nowhere in Namor, um, there's a press conference being held at the Rand Meacham Corporation, and who appears is Danny Rand, just out of nowhere, right? Wow. Okay, so... Long story short, he's a clone meant to take over the Rand Meacham Corporation by an old villain of his called Master Khan. So instead of a yellow peril villain, you've got a chalk white skinned yellow peril. I mean, he was like the most obscenely, you know, and I use the term um, derogatorily, derogative, derogatively is that he is a, an oriental, air quotes, villain, an oriental villain, you know, like... I'm completely f- confused as to what you're trying to okay, say right now. Okay, so have you ever heard the term yellow peril? No. Have you ever heard of it the... It sounds Mar- racist as fuck, It's though. racist as fuck. It's terrible. Okay, do you know the Marvel Comics character, the Yellow Claw? Uh, I read Nick about Fu- him Nick in... Nick Fury Ag- villain? Yeah, uh, Agents of Atlas. A- okay, Agents of Atlas. Okay, so he was very Chinese... And his skin was very yellow, not 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 Asian yellow, but like yellow yellow. And in the 1940s, they would they would paint these characters as yellow peril villains. You know, like you know, beware the Japanese saboteurs. Uh, there was a Superman Fleischer cartoon. Called oh fucking! Saboteurs. I remember that. That was Is fucking so racist. Racist as fuck, right? Yeah. Well, Master Khan. Again, I'm putting my hands up. I love Iron Fist, but they sure had some tone deaf. Uh, moments when it came to race relations came up with this villain for Iron Fist called Master Khan who was like a yellow peril villain but he was like undead so he had like white skin and glowing red eyes but he had the oriental robes and he was super Mandarin um, so he was like Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat 1 but with all the robes and shit he wasn't like a warrior he was more like a Chinese sorcerer Okay, and it seemed much less racist in the early '90s than it does now. Now it's still like, "Fuck, you guys don't know what you're talking about." But anyway, there was this whole thing where where Danny 
came back, but it was a it was a clone of Danny, and the real Danny was being kept by the the alien Halithri, who I don't know why, but the alien Halithri made like duplicates of Daniel Rand to run around. So if, because they had like ambitions to take over the Earth. So you're going to use Danny Daniel, Rand to take over well, the Earth? Well, one as of, one of their many agents. And that the Daniel Rand uh, that was killed at the end of Power Man and Iron Fist was a Holithri plant-grown clone. I don't even have fucking words for that. Normally I try to edit those beats out because it, it shows like we have too much of a gap in conversation. But I'm going to leave that one in because the look on your face is like, what the fuck? Anyway. <laughs> they, like that's, he's a fucking plant? Like a like a well, fucking like tree by, and grass and not like group, but I mean, he looks like a dude, but he's a plant on the inside. Like what's his face from fucking uh, like the second issue of Swamp Thing that Alan Moore did, yes. where he cuts open the yes. plant and does the whole uh, autopsy of a dead plant, dude. Kind of, yeah, like that. I guess. Anyway, but I mean, I, I guess it was a copy well enough to be seen as a human body. You know, and, um, you know, at the end of Power Man Iron Fist. So anyway, John Byrne, he creates this long thing and and Iron Fist comes back. You know, he's freed from captivity by Namor and Namorita and uh, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. Somewhere along the lines, Misty Knight loses the bionic arm that Tony Stark made for her. So she's a one-armed badass with a fade cut. That's kind of fucking cool. And like, a 44 Magnum, long barrel 44 Magnum. It was kind of badass, to be quite honest. That's, that sounds cool. And Colleen Wing with her fucking samurai sword in the whole. Yeah. And she had really short hair at the time. So, um, you know, interesting fact. Colleen Wing and Scott Summers dated for a short time in the Burnmont in the Burnmont in the, the Claremont Burnmont, in yeah. the Claremont Burn X Men title. So that one again, shit, I had no clue about. Right. So who was an agent of the Holithri? That was the next thing that you're going to tell me, and that was the fucking Super Scrawl, who was masquerading as NYPD officer Tyrone King, who was the one who was responsible for framing um, um, Power Man for the murder of Iron Fist. That so th- is so fucking contrived, like... But isn't it great contrived versus it's, terrible? It I is. Mean, well, I, I'd have to see the execution. Oh, my God, it's terrible. Uh, it's just fucking terrible. But it's it's also wonderful at the same time. It sounds time. very Golden Age. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, again, Burn don't give a shit. He's like Honey Badger, right? So he was... Okay, so you have the Halithri, which is this little-known race of plant people making... Aliens, and then they wipe the mind of the Super Scroll to turn him into Tyrone King, to turn him into somebody else, to to then take on Namor, Namorita, Iron Fist, and Clean Wing and Misty Knight, and then there was like a big beatdown between the bunch of them. And uh, then the it, only thing I have to say to that is fucking comic books. Yeah, you and, can only do that fucking shit in comic books. Right. If you try to explain that in a novel, you're just gonna go like, "What the hell is he talking and about?" And look, we're gonna get to our own review of the of the Iron Fist series here in a little bit. But you know what? They would have been all the creators' heads would have been put on a spike if they tried to adapt this storyline. I mean, this storyline is nonsense. It makes. No sense, but but I'll I will point you to the CBR.com abandoned and forsaken. So who killed Iron Fist was the name of 
the article, and I'm trying to get... How the, old is it? That's what I was just pulling up for you. It was posted on July 21st, 2013. Oh, shit. Okay, so this is a few years ago. It's just a few years ago. Just just four years ago. What's great is it, it kind of tells a complete story here, you know, between... You know, the end of Power Man Iron Fist to his resurrection in the pages of Namor, the Submariner. And uh, it was really, really kind of fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be quite honest. Um, but the thing is, I hate to compare this. Sure. But it sounds almost like a one more day situation where you've got to get through the shitty, awful stuff to kind of get to where you want to go. Honestly, true. But I'll be honest, me reading Burns Namor the Submariner at the time, I'm sitting there going, this is so fucking nuts. I'm, lo- I'm eating up every page of this at this time because it's, I like Namor. I like Namorita. I like Namorita as part of the New Warriors, the old uh, Nicieza and um, Mark Bagley book. Um, I loved all of that shit in the early 90s, right? And here I am, I'm reading fucking Iron Fist coming back from the dead, and I'm like throwing my arms up like, yeah, man, this is the shit, you know? And I could understand that, especially having such a love for the character that, you know, just seeing him again after four years of being gone, that's got to be refreshing. It really was amazing. And I was so hopeful for the future now, you know, like maybe they'll bring back Power Man Iron Fist or do a new Heroes for Hire book or all this shit, you, you know, great wait. stuff would come out. You had to wait four or five years for that? No, I had to wait much longer because then they did a couple of miniseries. I know they did that one Heroes for Hire series and didn't have Carlos Pacheco drawing it. Well, that was after. They, were, they, did, they did a couple of miniseries. Um, I can't remember, I cannot remember exactly who it was. But there was there was one mini series that was completely tone deaf, and then Dan Jurgens and Carlos Pacheco did did um, or no, it was Carlos Pacheco covers with Jack Geis artwork on the inside, if I remember right. Uh, they did a mini series, a four issue mini series, both of which just you know I was I was getting older now at this point. Yeah. And I could see that they were trying to recapture the spirit of the 70s chop sake f- Saturday morning. That doesn't translate 20 it years later. It didn't translate 20 years later. And it, it, it was really not good. And then they did the Heroes for Hire book, which was John Ostrander, Pasquale Ferry did the artwork for it. He was the one on the first run for that. And they did a new Heroes for Hire book that was... That was Danny saying, hey, I got like my corporation. Luke, do you want to be a hero for hire? He goes, yeah, but I don't want to do it. be a corporate stooge. He goes, no, you're not going to be a corporate stooge. I, I bought Oracle from Namor, who used his Atlantean funds to build a corporation, thinking that was going to be a good idea for a while. They, again, John Byrne. So, uh, you know, they acquired the Oracle Corporation. Um, and so he renames it Rand? Well, he merges it with his corporation, Rand Meacham, and becomes the new Rand Corporation. Okay. Okay. Um, Jaron Hogarth is there to run the day-to-day, which is also, and then the day-to-day operations of Heroes for Hire is being run by a depowered Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch. That's, yeah, when you said Jim Hammond, that's exactly where I went. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, who else would you get other than an, an, an Where the fuck did he come from? Uh, I think he had just reappeared in the pages of Fantastic Four at the time or something, or West Coast Avengers. I don't know which. But anyway, he was unpowered, but he needed something to do. So what does he do? He decides he likes a cat. 
So he got himself a cat and got himself a job running the Heroes for Hire, which consisted of characters like Power Man, Iron Fist. Another one of my favorite Marvel Comics characters is Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. And uh, they had just uh, broke him out of his curse where he, where he was turned into a stone statue in the pages of Doctor Strange. Um, well, it was in the pages of Defenders in the 1970s when he was turned to stone. And then... Wait, in, so from the... Black Knight from the 70s to, what, 95, 96, whenever well, this was? Well, before... Was stone. N- no, before... Okay, so remember when Bob Harris was writing Avengers in the early 90s? Black you mean Knight, when I was like two or three? When you were two or three. I'm sure you were reading comics then. Anyway, um, he... Okay, just before that happened, in the pages of the Roger Stern, Paul Smith run of Doctor Strange, where if you can find those issues, they're brilliant, They Doctor Strange unwinds the curse that was put on Dane Whitman, goes back in time, you see his soul was transported into his ancestor from the Crusades, and so he was fighting in the Crusades under Richard the Lionheart as the first Black Knight. Anyway, and... Doctor Strange saves him, pulls his spirit out, and then puts him back in his body, and he's like the Black Knight again. They pal around for a while, and then Doctor Strange gets canceled, and then uh, Bob Harris starts writing Avengers and wants Black Knight to lead it. Sis boom there you go. So anyway, that happened. <laughs> Just accept it. That happened. All the, right. The Heroes for Hire book came out, and they put the Black Knight in it, as well as some other characters. I want to say White Tiger was a part of it. The fe- one of the first female, not the Ava Ayala one, but the female White Tiger before her, I think. There was there was one. I thought Hector. What is what's his face was Hector Ayala was the first White Tiger, but the second White Tiger was a, a White Tiger that was transformed into a woman who was a martial artist. It was weird shit. Well, I remember. I mean, I remember White Tiger from the Bendish Daredevil shit. So right. in my head, I'm like, oh well, White Tiger was a guy, and then it transferred yeah, to his they granddaughter. Went, they went past the whole. Mi- Tiger being turned into a person thing in okay. Heroes for Hire. The, we're getting into some weird territory here. Anyway, they did that Heroes for Hire book for like I think 12, 16 issues, and that folded, and then Iron Fist bounced around for a little while. I'm starting to see why Marvel went bankrupt in the mid to late 90s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is starting to make sense now. But I thought, oh, sales dropped, but as you're explaining all this shit to me, I'm like, yeah, that's why sales <laughs> dropped. Well, well, look, John Ostrander did did a great run on Heroes for Hire, but that book had a shelf life because it was putting out 100,000 sales per month for them. You know, so I'm making it sound weird. It is weird. Check your history. Go go into the back issue bins at your favorite local comic book store. Trust me, there there was good stuff. I I always lean into John Ostrander work when it comes out because I just love the man. Um, But they let... Instead of killing Iron Fist this time, they just let him be there in the Marvel Universe. Just, he faded away for a little while until somebody had a story to bring him back. And who brought him back but Ed Brubaker. And Ed Brubaker brought him back in his first arc on Daredevil. Now, well, they did a cu- no, they did a couple of Iron Fist miniseries before that, and they both failed. They all failed, but yeah. I, I believe there's only two. Maybe I got the timing wrong yeah. on him, but no, there was okay. only two. Yeah. But but here's the thing: um, Brian Bendis had had just wrapped up his his triumphant run on Daredevil. I mean, his is. I went and read that when the Daredevil uh, TV show came out. Yeah. Like I reread it, and 
that is a, it's a modern classic. It is. I mean, it stands up with Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. Yeah, when I think Daredevil, I think Frank Miller, I think uh, Brian Bendis, and then I think, like you said, Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker, who had just jumped away from DC Comics writing um, um, uh, Gotham Central with his art partner, Michael Lark, the two of them went to go do Daredevil together. So you had Ed Brubaker writing it, you had Michael Lark doing the art, and Basically, Matt Murdock's identity was outed at the end of um, of Bendis's run. Was he do? He turns himself into the FBI because he's wanted for vigilante crimes and all this other shit that he's done. I'm sure he acted on information that on for attorney client privilege kind of stuff. I mean, I'm trying to remember all of it, but he turned as you remember, he turned himself in at the end of that run and was sent to Rikers Island with all the people that he's oh, locked and then up that over first, the years. That first arc is uh, Devil and Cell Block D. That's right. And meanwhile, there's there's Matt Murdock on the inside of Rikers Island, but on the outside, there's a daredevil running around in his costume. And everybody's like, wait a minute. his idea, He's been outed as Daredevil. This guy who pretends to be blind was Daredevil. But wait a minute. Daredevil's being spotted in Hell's Kitchen. What? You know, and then it became this thing where uh, eventually Matt Murdock was let out of jail. He broke out with Frank Castle. Right. In the meantime, his secret identity was was resealed because the guy in the in the red Daredevil costume was none other than hero for hire Danny Rand, aka Iron Fist. Oh, that showdown they had when it was the two Daredevils. Right. And then eventually uh you there's see that, there's that panel where it's like they're squaring off and you just see kind of like the shoulder and headshot of of Daredevil on one side and then you see the shoulder and headshot of Daredevil on the other side. And his fist glows. And his fist glows in the very next panel after that. It's like, at that point, it's like, oh shit! You know, it was was fucking Iron Fist at that point. It was fucking amazing for me because I knew right then who that character was because he didn't fight like Daredevil. You know, it, not at all. No, he wasn't like a street brawler. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Daredevil has kung fu. Not, I mean, not like Chinese kung fu, but he has Asian-inspired martial arts. He's acrobatic. You know, he and this he, Iron Fist didn't have the acrobatic. Oh yeah, he did. Well, he didn't have like but, the um, like the gymnastics type of stuff that that. That Matt Murdock it would had? Depend, it would depend on the writer and the artist team that was on him at the time. But typically, you know, he was much more, you know, he's like kind of a ducky, weavy, dodgy kind of martial artist. But, you know, he, he wouldn't be like the same level of acrobat as, let's say, Daredevil. But he was in every way his superior in hand-to-hand combat. And they've since made him kind of an acrobat in going with later Chinese movies like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Hero, and all the wire-fu kind of martial arts. They've turned um, Iron Fist into that kind of character as well, which I think I'm totally fine with. But uh, they had their kind of showdown for a minute, and he's like, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. (laughs) At the end of that. And then after that, that's when uh, Matt Murdock takes off to Europe. Yep. And uh, and finds out who's been fucking with his life uh, past... Right. Past uh, the whole being outed thing. And, and yeah, and then you see, uh, the next thing you see is Iron Fist in Civil War. Right. Except he's not Iron Fist, he's Daredevil. He is Daredevil. Throughout. He keeps the Daredevil identity going the entire time, you find out, 
while Matt Murdock is going to Europe, he's still being Daredevil at. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, I thought that was fantastic during Civil War uh, that uh, when he was arrested, he put a silver dollar in his mouth. That was such a great moment. Can I tell you, that's where Mark Miller really cemented himself as a guy who loves comics and as a guy who loves... And, and he cemented himself, to me anyway, as a guy who loves comics, a guy who loves comics characters. And he, here's your piece of silver, Judas. You know, as he said to... Was it Hank Pym or Reed Richards or one yeah. of them? As he's being put into the negative zone prison. And I'm like... And then, you know... Later on, you know, there's the uh, prison riot at, was it Prison 42 or 47 yeah, or something for, like Yeah, 40 whatever, something. Whatever it which was. Which is how old I am. Yeah, then there's the breakout. And he's like, nah, fuck it. I'm fucking Iron Fist. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that was such a great moment. Yeah. I uh, I was excited to see uh, Iron Fist come back and spin out of that Daredevil series. But yet, I had no clue what I was really getting into at the time. Yeah, and and you know have you know, and I've only shown like the bare the 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 threadbare understanding that I have of his history. I mean, I, I remember reading all of it, but I don't have the retention of going back to when I was ten years old and remembering certain titles. So I want to read them again, but I can tell you this is that when. The Immortal Iron Fist, issue number one of the six-part The Last Iron Fist story came out from the writing team of Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction, who Matt Fraction and I was reading Casanova at the time. So I'm like, dude, this guy is legit as a writer. And he, I think that was one of his first pieces of work for Marvel. Um, I was trying to think uh, he had done... what Had he done Punisher at the time? I don't Yeah, re- Punisher War Journal had... S- did not started because it was pre-Civil War. Right. So Or no, it was post-Civil War. Now, I now think that it was you around that, the same time. Well, I remember because I just read that stuff, and they in the middle of it, uh, he talks about being pissed off at Colleen Wing and and Misty for being pro-registration. Exactly. So yeah, this was after that. He had just had the big success with Ariel Avetti. Yes. Uh, on Punisher War Journal. You're right. You're so right. he'd cemented himself, but he's he's still working with Brubaker since Brubaker was kind of the one responsible of bringing back Iron Fist. And I think I remember reading in, in articles at the time that Brubaker was quoted saying that he just had like sort of the, the broad brush stroke ideas and was Fraction who got the character of Danny, who got the, the voice of Danny Rand. And as well as uh, later appearing in that run, Luke Cage, Misty Knight, Colleen Wing, you know, the, the regulars from his supporting cast. But was fir- the series was firmly focused on the life of Danny Rand post-registration act, and the registration act was still going on, you know, and all that. So he was an illegal superhero. But what was interesting was in that same first issue, his lawyer, Jaron Hogarth, was making the argument to the registration authorities, to Henry Peter Gyrick and, and his crew, that he was not a superhuman, that all he knew was a, a method of kung fu which allowed him to tap into superhuman-like powers, but that he was not technically superhuman, nor would show up as a superhuman or metahuman or whatever on any sort of blood test or scanner that the government might have had. So there was that interesting little piece there. So he was working in this kind of gray area. And what he had also done was is buy up entire tracts of real estate in 
Manhattan. So as because, you know, he wasn't like an expert driver. He didn't want a helicopter. He didn't want like fancy things. So he wanted real estate that he had free access to to run along the rooftops of in New York City. So Oh, he, yeah. I remember him saying like, yeah, some people have planes. Some people have this. He's like, I have rooftops. I have real estate. I have, real, I, have, I have the rooftops of New York City, and he literally owned like a quarter of them. So he had this sort of maze that Iron Fist could run pretty much unimpeded. Anyway, so it, the, the, the immortal Iron Fist, all digressions aside, by Brubaker and Fraction, with the art by the inimitable David Aha, was this amazing... I mean, I can't call it anything else, but it was like the series was already already a success with issue number one. Because it went it, into a second print, and it also went into a director's cut, which at yeah. the time, uh, not every book got that. No, not every book did, and it was amazing. And I mean, the very first pages, you've got Danny Rand hurt and fighting hundreds of Hydra agents on the rooftop. That of the giant ramp. splash page, oh. you knew that he was he was all business, and he was going to fuck some people up. He was going to fuck some people up, and he was in his original pop collar, uh, the original Iron Fist costume, which just got shredded by Hydra gunfire. He was inside the Rand Corporation. He was outside. He went on to other buildings. He was just... It was this running fist fight and gun battle that that culminated that issue culminated was with his fight against Hydra's Mecha Gorgon and just this yeah, giant that mech whole thing. That, so good and he was able to beat that thing the Mecha Gorgon but at a cost and then what is his buddy Luke C- his buddy Luke Cage just shows up out of fucking nowhere you know cuz he hears Iron Fist is is in this giant fight and um pretty much that's where the story begins and and I don't even, you know what? I I I I want to just use some buzzwords in describing this series because I don't want I don't want to totally decompact it or unpack it for somebody um, because I want people to still discover this thing because there's a new um, uh, volume which is the complete Immortal Iron Fist Volume One by by Brubaker Fraction and Aha. I just ordered that and volume and Volume Two, which covers. Dwayne Swierzynski's run. I think that's how you say it. Which also includes, if I remember correctly, um, okay, which also includes the Orson Randall stuff. And Orson Randall was the Iron Fist before Danny Rand. What you find out is, is that there were dozens upon dozens upon dozens. Specifically 66. 66 Iron Fists before Danny Rand. You know, like Bei Bao Wen, Wang or um, Wu Ao Shi, the Pirate Queen. Oh, of Ping I loved Hai. her. That the, story was so good. Wu Ao Shi, the Pirate Queen of Ping Hai Bay, is the favorite thing I have to anybody who asks me about what my favorite issue of the Immortal Iron Fist is. It's the story of Wu Ao Shi, the Pirate Queen of Ping Hai Bay, the only woman to ever have to hold the power of the Iron Fist. Yes, it's sexist, but it was the truth, and how she would infuse her arrows with her chi power to turn them into flaming fucking arrows, and she just takes ships down and fucking fire. And yet it, she falls in love with a fisherman. With the, who, yes. who all he wants to do is have this peaceful life while she's just this fucking warrior going out, conquering other fleets, yep. and just being a badass fucking pirate. Yeah, on the run from, from Kunlun, you know, because she wasn't supposed to be able to defeat Sholau the Undying. 
And uh, but like you said, she leaves Kunlun, leaves that life behind, marries the fisherman. They rate, they have a family, and she is the ruler of Pinghai Bay until her death a hundred years later. <laughs> I mean, it was just it, it was just such phenomenal storytelling. And they would do these sort of times past issues, which help propel the story forward with Danny Rand's deepening understanding of what it is, what the Iron Fist well, is. He, they introduced that whole concept of the book of the Iron Fist, which right. is this giant biography of all the iron fists yeah so and all the techniques that they learned as iron fists yeah and it makes sense to where you know he's reading all this and then they give us an issue of what he is reading exactly and it, it was done by a fill-in artist for the time and there were there was like i want to say two or three of those during the the, the fraction run because brubaker left the the series with issue number six mm-hmm. after completing the yeah, he did. No, he left way. He left at the end of the Immortal Weapons tournament story. Did he? Yeah, like because because I thought Fraction left at the Immortal Weapons story. Well, he left at issue sixteen, which was the birthday of Danny Rand. Okay, and then uh, that's when you find out that no Iron Fist except for one has lived past the age of 33. Right. And that's where he kind of leaves it for the next writer to take off. But the seven capital cities of heaven, I want to say he, Brubaker left in the middle of that arc, which was really weird. But at that time he had such faith in Matt Fraction and Matt Fraction had proven himself as such a competent writer. And it doesn't hurt that he had such great artists working with him. Especially, they did, like, flashback sections, and this was a great experiment in using different artists to tell different parts of the story from different times. Hmm. And that was such an alchemy, to steal one of your words, uh, that made the book work of having those multiple artists and telling those stories. So, especially, you talk about the times past issues, they also do the flashback scenes. Uh, and a couple of them had like Russ Heath in them, who was a oh my who god, was a, Russ uh, Heath doing those flashbacks to the Orson Randall, who was the sixty fifth Iron or sixty sixth Iron Fist, the other Caucasian who had it during the um, like the Golden Age of the Pulps, like he was the Iron Fist from like nineteen twenty yeah. or like World War One through the Golden Age, and and basically became Alan Quartermain and just decided to drop into opium dens to suppress his chi yeah, and so just that's, be stoned from the rest of the 20th century. And that's how he had hidden his chi to not be attacked uh, by a villain they later reveal uh, after Fraction leaves of why there's the, each Iron Fist had only lived to be no more than 33. Yeah, I mean, just so tremendous. I mean... And look, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm kind of looking up because I seem to remember Brubaker leaving before Fraction did. But of course, now I can't find anything. ComicBookDB.com. Yeah, ComicBookDB.com. That's, you, that's my whole, that, that's all you need if you're looking for creators and looking for shit. So Adam and I had to actually take a break right there because w- this thing with Ed Brubaker was fucking killing me because I do remember him leaving before Matt Fraction. He left before Matt Fraction. I'm right about that. Totally wrong about when he left. He was there through the seven capital cities of heaven. Look, as great as the last Iron Fist story was, and that book was fucking amazing, the second volume, Adam, was 
even more amazing because we get introduced to the immortal weapons. Oh, I love the immortal weapons so much. Oh, my God. I don't get how they're not currently like all over the place. How, I, I don't understand that. How Okay, we live in a, a culture that loves Asian cinema. We love movies like The Raid. We love movies like Jet Li's Hero. We there's love such movies. a there's a, a, a I, I don't want to say cult, but there's definitely a fan base of like Korean dramas. Oh yeah, uh, of uh, Japanese uh, horror movies. I mean, oh Jap- we've, the old seventies Chambara samurai movies. I mean, there there's definitely a huge influence of Asian uh, entertainment and Asian media on what we're doing here. Yep, and so the fact that we don't have these characters running around is kind of baffling to me. It was a great mini. Okay, first of all, all their whole appearance in the seven capital cities of heaven. We had we were introduced to characters. Maybe I should back up. So the seven capital cities of heaven. Kunlun is one of those seven cities. And the is only, that the first time they reveal this? Is in the Immortal Iron Fist? Or it is. Okay, it is. It's never talked about before. Um, but then you realize that there are other cities like Kunzi, which is the uh, city which houses the Crane Mother and Crane Sisters, um, where Davos flees and uh, is is. Basic. That was my introduction to Davos. Yeah, where I was just like, like you see him and you're just like. Well, duh, this is Iron Fist's mortal enemy. How can he not be? Right. And the fact that he formed, a, like, he has like one hand. Like, his hand is cut off by, was, was it Dog Brother Number 1, who was another one of the immortal weapons? Like, somebody cuts I, his hands I off. I can't remember, yeah. And but he forms a hand out of purple chi. That was so fucking crazy. To punch the shit out of him. It's so great. So, okay, so you have Kunzi. I don't remember the other Kuns, but they're all, they're all Kun something. But you had um, Davos, who was originally uh, Danny Rand's uh, best friend growing up in Kun Lun. Which you find out not just Danny Rand, it's also Wendell Rand's childhood friend who he trained with. That's right, who's also the son of Lei Kung the Thunderer, who is sort of the sergeant major of the, 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 the Shaolin murder priests that they... <laughs> And also, I, I just love the terms Shaolin yeah. murder priest. And he's also <laughs> kind of the prodigal son of yeah, Kun Lun. He is because he felt like he should have been afforded the opportunity to to wrestle Sholao in personal combat, defeat him, and put his own hands into the molten, still beating heart of Sholao the Undying. That's old Rory Thomas for you, um, thereby giving him the power of the Iron Fist. Um, he felt cheated out of that. And then uh, what became obsessed with stealing the Iron Fist from Danny Rand over the course of his own series, the Power Man and Iron Fist stuff. Uh, there was a great run of uh, a two-issue part that Chris Claremont wrote in uh, Marvel Team-Up, where Spider-Man and uh, Iron Fist teamed up to fight Davos the Steel Serpent, was the name that he gave himself. Well, when Davos, you know, eventually... We figure okay, we're like, well, where's Davos? Us old school Iron fans. Well, Davos shows up towards the end of the last Iron Fist story. And it turns out he is the immortal weapon of the Crane Mother. Of the Crane Mother, who has since rechristened himself Steel Phoenix. And uh, which is really great getting in with the bird slash snake motifs right there. Well, they have they introduce other immortal weapons from other cities, like Fat Cobra, who is my favorite, okay, because he is this giant sumo wrestler looking dude whose chest is completely covered in katakana, um, Japanese writing. 
and he is the fastest one of all of them. He might look giant and amorphous, but he is the fastest. Well, he's like E Honda and that, from fucking Street Fighter. But he's the big just, thing about Fat Cobra, while his physicality was impressive, yeah. his personality was fucking hilarious. Because he wanted to drink, he wanted to party, he wanted women. That dude was all about wine, women, and song. He was like the Orson Welles, the young Orson Welles of the Immortal Weapons. Just fucking genius. He was a rock star. He, he was, was a, a rock fucking star. ninja rock star. High five for that one. And then you had Bride of Nine Spiders, who... I'll get into 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 the TV series later, um, but you got Bride of Nine Spiders, who her kung fu is fucking weird. Let's be honest. Well, she fucking uses spiders to take people out I and mean, like build that she generates with her chi. She creates spiders from out of nowhere, and and laughs like this. Yeah, it's oh, so God. weird. Uh, who else? She had Tiger's Beautiful Daughter, who uh, fought with fans kind of like from What's-Her-Name for Mortal Kombat. Uh, Kitana. Like like Kitana. Uh, then you had Dog Brother Number 1, uh, who was this also... Um, he was very reminiscent of those old Chinese swordsman movies. and Yeah, he was he was very much uh, the samurai of the group. Kind of a samurai, but he was like that Xie, Chinese paladin, Chinese yeah. knight sort of, because he had the Chinese-style armor and the wushu sword and the whole thing like that. But... We cannot talk about Immortal Weapons and not talk about John Amon, who, if you did not know this, you, your mind might be expanded, your mind might not. But the fact is, is that Roy Thomas did not want to use Iron Fist at first. What he wanted to do was bring back a Golden Age character called Amazing Man, who, yeah, who's created you by... You say Amazing Man, I think that little guy with the orange helmet no, that's, from DC. That, that's apostrophe Amazing Man. Oh, okay. This is Amazing Man. He was a creation of Bill Everett, the guy who created the Submariner, for this um, imprint called Centaur Comics in the 1940s. And he, his origin was that he was the lone survivor of a plane crash, and it was adopted by a group of, of, of monks from this monastery known as the Council of Seven and was trained to superhuman physical perfection and then released out into the world so that he can meet justice to evildoers wherever they might be. And he had the power. Now, check this, Adam. This is back. This is the 1940s character. He had the power to split his atoms into a fine green mist. So, okay. So Roy, Tom wow. Roy Thomas and Gil Kane pitched Marvel the idea of bringing back Amazing Man. So, because he had fallen into the public domain, meaning that there was going to be no copyright challenges to them using the I character. I could also see why Marvel was just like no on that because yeah. Yeah. he's a open, he's an, uh, an, an op open source uh, yeah. that anybody else could use. And even in the 70s, I, I, I um, you know, the, the House of Ideas wasn't really big into stuff that they didn't own. So, but they came up with Iron Fist and just basically reappropriated John Amon's origin story that Bill Everett created for him. And what was neat in the Fraction Brubaker run with the, the art by David Aha is, is that they bring back this character called John Amon, the original character's name, also known as the Prince of Orphans, who was the most frightening member of the bunch. I mean, he was definitely the wise sage. And it, oh, yeah. and, it, and it turns out they reveal that he had haunted Orson Randall yes. uh, throughout time, uh, basically trying to shut down the whole concept of the Iron Fist. Yes, he really did. Um, there was a side book. Um, did Fraction write it? Um, Iron Fist and the Green Mist of yes. Death. And uh, it was a great 
um, annual story. Oh, you had Nick Dragota doing that, and at the time he was being inked by Mike Allred and colored by Laura Allred? Right, but that they did the flashbacks of Iron Fist and the Green Mist of Death was by Dan Brereton. No, that was in the annual. That's what I was talking about. Oh, I thought you were talking about... No, they did a one-shot called The Green Mist of Death. Okay, so which one was the annual? I thought the, the annual, annual was where he goes back and he he find, leaves the tournament and for, he, he through goes a secret to, passage. He that goes he finds. to France and who did was it? Who did the art for that? Uh, the modern was, day. Uh, the modern day was Howard Chaikin. That's right. It was Howard Chaikin. That's right. Howard Chaikin does the art, and then it tells the story about how he is. You know, that's he, where he, you get the the. He concept. talks to Orson Randall's last living sidekick because he had he was like. He was like, um, um, like Doc Savage, where he had a crew of people that w- adventured with him. And then this guy was his was Orson Randall's biographer, who has a library bigger than the one book of of the the book of Iron Fist. Right, the book of the Iron Fist is great for learning foo powers, but not so great about learning about the individual personalities. And he w- he met his personal biographer that went on all of his adventures with him while he was the Iron Fist in the Western world who had an entire library of handwritten journals that, that Danny was able to read to, to gain more knowledge about Orson Randall. Notice how we didn't talk about Orson Randall very much because we think it's important that you read the story of Orson Randall in the last Iron Fist story. Can't go back to that enough. But we had this tremendous cast of characters called the Immortal Weapons. They were absolutely fantastic. And uh, they even had a mini series that uh, where each uh, they had a different creative team on each weapon. Yep. And Jason Aaron and Miko Suyin oh. do the uh, the very first one, which is uh, Fat Cobra. Yeah. And that was such a heartbreaking but wonderful tale. You understood Fat Cobra. You felt for Fat Cobra. You wanted to love. I, I, you know what? To this day, and I said this, he's but, knocked off his rock star pedestal yep. and hard, hard. That was what, 2008, 2009? Yeah, around there. In, in that time. I will tell you this today, Adam. If the right creative team was on it, Fat Cobra would sell 100,000 copies for its first issue because it is that quality of a character. I wouldn't go that far, but he, he is goddamn good. I will. I might just write it. Spec really? Script. Spec script. Here we go. I'm going to start typing it. Okay. Goddamn, Jim, you're moving at the Fat speed of light over Cobra. here. Found face first in a ditch in Chicago, 1978. No, I. Anyway, the point is, I love Fat Cobra. Fat Cobra is amazing. And the rest of that miniseries was fantastic because you got these one off stories about Dog Brother number one. You got Tiger's Beautiful Daughter. You had Creepy Ass Bride of Nine Spiders. That's That was like a horror. The, the it was Bride, a horror book. Yeah, Bride of Nine Spiders was very much like this tee, horror tee, piece. Tee, tee. Where it's just like she is the fucking Freddy Krueger of the book. Yeah, she is the nightmare made flesh. I mean, it's amazing. And how these characters are not used, it's probably because the fact is is that very few writers understand the elements that make up great Asian cinema. And I think that, you know, at the time, you know, my friends and I, we had a background of going to uh, the UC Theater in Berkeley. Uh, during the '90s, and every did they play just crazy shit like that? Every all the time? Thir- every Thursday night was a cinema Hong Kong double feature. 
So, wow. dude, we got to see like a Better Tomorrow one and two. We got to see John Woo's The Killer with a uh, bullet in the head. We got to see fucking Jack Chan's uh, Drunken Master 3, which was just released here, The Legend of Drunken Master, you know, where he fights an actual 400-man hatchet gang. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. No, him and Yun Wo Ping, the fight choreographer, they're fucking in this this, uh, Chinese saloon, and they get attacked. They cast 400 extras, hand them hatchets, and, and choreograph a fight between two dudes versus like three or four hundred people. An amazing feature film. That that like feat in and of itself on film or not should be some kind of record because a director directing four hundred people and this was four hundred and two, I guess, in a fight scene. Right. This was without a second unit. This is Jackie Chan directing this film too. So the guy who's directing the film is the guy who's starring in the film. And the biggest gag that was part of that film is that they end up tearing down the whole building by the end of the fight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you have to be in this mindset, I think, to write an Iron Fist story in the modern age. I think you have to be in this mindset to use characters like the Immortal Weapons. And unfortunately, you know, the stable, as great as the writing stable is at Marvel, and they have some wonderful writers they they don't want to write or tell those stories right well, now well the other thing is i feel like right now their strengths are superheroes yep the the writers they have their strengths are very much superheroes um and you don't have that sense of i feel like they're trying to branch out yeah into like kind of weirder superhero stuff more unique superhero stuff but at the end of the day it's superhero stuff when being a superhero is secondary to who Danny Rand is true very true. I mean, he is about being the Iron Fist first, you know. Um, he is a guy who has a foot in each world at all times. And that's why I love the character as he is presented, because he is an outworlder in both societies. He's an outworlder in Kunlun. He doesn't fit in. He was an outsider who was taken in because he was orphaned in a plane crash. And then on the outside, you know, in uh, you know the Western world, you know, notably Manhattan, um, he's a complete outsider there because he wasn't raised that way. He wasn't raised the scion of a rich family. He wasn't raised. He was raised run- humbled and yes. beaten with training. Yes, he had discipline beaten into him by Lei Kung the Thunderer. The coolness of Lei Kung the Thunderer aside. What came afterwards, Adam? I mean, I, I don't think that Marvel totally gave up on Iron Fist they, after that. They didn't, but they had kind of a series of misfires. Uh-huh. Um, they had, after that, they... they it, siege, after Siege, is the next time you see uh, Iron Fist, and that's 2010, 2011. Give, give or take, yeah. And you see uh, Fred Van Lente... And Wellington Aves, mm-hmm. I think it was Wellington Aves, uh, yeah. take on uh, a new power man. A younger, I think it's Tyrone something or another. Yeah, uh, I didn't read it just because it didn't really speak to me. It seems so different from any of the Immortal Iron Fist stuff. It was. It didn't catch my interest. I, I tried the first two issues of the book, and look, there, no offense, you know I love my teen heroes. Um, going way back, you know, Teen Titans, X-Men, New Warriors mentioned in this episode. Uh, I love the Champions book that Mark Wade and Ramos and all of them are putting out. You know, so I'm not against teen heroes at all. It's just that this iteration of Power Man was a kid that was literally all power 
And the promise of the book was is that Iron Fist, who came across this kid through, I think he was training at one of his dojos, the Iron Fist self defense schools. Or oh, okay, yeah, Remember the one that? he sets up, right? Yeah, okay, at the end of Immortal. And instead of you know, so there's this kid who who has the power to harness chi just naturally into an Iron Fist like ability, you know, to break So is shit. it like a mutant power or something he's learned through the dojo? I'll be honest, it's so many years ago, I totally forget, but I think he, he had the power naturally. Now, whether that means mutant or or he was a magically gifted or whatever, I don't know. Um, but I remember that that he had the power to harness chi for some reason. And, and those of you who have read that particular iteration of Power Man and Iron Fist... By all means, drop us a line on Twitter, at Graphic Podcast. We'd love to hear the origin, even if you just drop a Wikipedia link or a comic book database link or something. You can come on our Facebook. Uh, Hell, call us up and we'll put you on our podcast. We'll, yeah. We, you know, <laughs> um, but, but essentially, here's this kid that was just raw, untapped power, and the promise was is that Iron Fist was going to teach him how to tap that power, Right. Well, I'm thinking he's going to teach this kid how to be a badass martial artist in, you know, like he was taught, you know, teaching him Kunlun martial arts to to channel his chi into various different ways. I mean, in the Immortal Iron Fist series, Danny showed the ability to heal himself with the power of his chi, to be able to um, uh, focus his chi onto a pond of water so that he can see into the future and into the deep past. I mean, to do some crazy mystical Him shit. Him towards later in the run when Dwayne Swierzynski comes on, he and the Immortal Weapons... Like focus their chi to get into the eighth city, right? Which, which is essentially hell. Yeah, it's it's pretty much hell. And then he goes in there and gets his ass whooped. And the minute he can get his chi up and running, it becomes two or three of them while the others fight it off. Right. And he gets the fuck out of hell with his chi, with his chi, with the power of his life force. And I, I there was all this promise, but basically in the next issue, and and from what I understand from other people I know who have read it is that, no, he just taught him how to be a superhero. So he got these goggles and this costume, and he could punch things really hard because he was the power man, and there was no martial arts training or anything like that. And I thought, and forgive me for rolling over on you this, Adam, is that I thought that there was such a missed opportunity to bring the sidekick organically back into comic books because what better, I'm going to borrow a phrase from Star Wars here for a second, it would have been a perfect Jedi Master Padawan relationship where he's bringing this young Padawan who is just raw power, raw talent. He has no skill whatsoever. And you could have seen this growth curve with this character be really organic as Danny's training him in the martial arts and the philosophy surrounding it. My my issue, it appeared to me, I could be wrong because I'm definitely judging a book by its cover. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, Fred Van Lente and Wellington Avs. You guys are great creators. Sure. I just felt like this, it appeared to me with this book that they were trying to fit a uh, round peg into a square hole. It, it was too soon, you know, and, and, I, and, and honestly, Fred Van Lente has done other great work. Um, Wellington Alves is a, is a tremendous artive, artist, um, but I would have preferred a much more Eastern take on the origins of, of these two characters meeting 
which I thought was pretty cool, you know, insofar as, you know, where the writing opportunities are, but I would have preferred a much more Eastern approach versus just a Western capes and cows approach to the title. Well, what's cool is in the, in the follow-up, I mean, they bring in Iron Fist into the Avengers. So, I mean, Iron Fist is a pretty big deal by that point. Oh, yeah. No, he really is. And, I mean, let's be honest. In the pages of Bendis' new Avengers, if I remember correctly, he punched a shield helicarrier out of the sky. Well, there was that in, <laughs> in Avengers <laughs> I mean, versus X-Men. Right? Where do they retreat? Kun Lun. Kun Lun. That becomes, that becomes the Avengers' way to hide out against yeah. the X-Men. So, you know, I mean, Iron Fist was... Even though Iron Fist might not have been Marvel's top-selling book, it was its most critically acclaimed book in years. So Iron Fist got a lot of play after the run of Immortal Weapons. Absolutely. Or or the Immortal Iron Fist and Immortal Weapons. Yeah, and they integrated his, 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 the deepening of his mythos was very integrated into the core of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and it just, it was working out so well. I mean, they even, and, and... I need to go back and reread these issues, but towards the end of that new Avengers run, because um, Doctor Strange was a member of the team at that point, and he was no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. That was a, a bit oh, for a okay. while. Yeah, you know they they did that thing where the Ancient One came back and was pissed at Doctor Strange, and Danny Rand goes into the dimension with the another dimension with the Ancient One, and then comes out instead of with his green costume, comes out with the white version of the costume, which is my favorite iteration of it. And Doctor Strange, at the end of that story, calls him the Immortal Weapon of Agamotto. Jeez, <laughs> and that's they, so great because I mean, when you think about Stephen Strange, where did he go to learn magic? He didn't go to fucking. England to, to learn at the feet of one of Merlin's descendants. No, he went to fucking Tibet. The ancient one was Tibetan. You know, he went, he, I mean, his magic was spawned just, I mean, a hop, skip, and a jump practically away yeah, from Kung Lun. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. yeah, that's a pretty cool connection. I hope that they... And they even talked about it a little bit, just like how different their their magic was, but Stephen Strange saw that there was definite patterns that were similar to Danny Rand's chi manipulation to his own um, sorcery, which I thought was really That's, cool. That, yeah, that was fucking dope. I remember reading some of that, really enjoying it. Uh, after the whole Power Man, Iron Fist, after the, the Avengers at that point kind of shut down, uh, we go into Marvel now, which is around 2012, 2013, yep. um, and you get uh, a whole a whole slew of new creators and new creative teams uh, on different books. And Carrie Andrews, who wrote and drew the excellent Spider-Man Reign, yep. uh, has, has done some really great stuff uh, over at Marvel. They hand him the, the keys to Kun Lun. And he gets, <laughs> yeah. to, uh, he gets 12 issues to do whatever the fuck he wants on Iron Fist. And you know what? I'm going to give Carrie Andrews credit where credit is deserved. Um, I was not a particular fan of that because, again, I'm sorry. I just, I, I see everything through the lens of Dave Adaha, you know, and I was getting Hawkeye around, <laughs> around that time. I can understand where and, you're coming from And it was that. hard for me, even though I could see that Carrie Andrews, Carrie Andrews, I'm putting my hand leveled really, really high. He was operating at a super high level. Um, it just wasn't what... I was, it it, it didn't sink with me for whatever reason. So I could see it 
for the the talent that was exuded. Um, Carrie Andrews, who's also a filmmaker, um, was giving it a real kind of cinematic style to it, and I and I dug what he was trying to do, but I didn't finish the series. I got to be quite honest. Uh, I really enjoyed the series. Okay. I feel like um, while I wish they kind of would have delved into the whole uh, Wendell Rand. Uh, as far as him growing up in Kunlun and a little bit of the Orson Randall stuff, mm-hmm. they mainly focus on uh, a lot of the fa- flashbacks focused on the actual journey up the mountain. Yes, that's right. And uh, that, which was cool because they didn't explore that aspect in the Immortal Iron Fist series. Um, but it all leads into the, dist- I mean, by the end of it, uh, spoiler, which the series is done and you can buy the complete. Uh, Carrie Andrews Immortal yes. Iron or Iron Fist the Living Weapon. But at the end of it, they destroy Kun Lun. <sighs> and but the cool thing is they're br- you have Carrie Andrews who is gonna do that great idea of of having uh Obi-Wan Danny Rand uh-huh. uh train a new character who has who ends up fleeing from Kun Lun to go warn Danny about some major shit going down Interesting. over there. And so with the destruction, this little girl saved, and he is going to train her uh, in, in the ways of the Iron Fist. Um, and their new their book, is and it hasn't come out yet. I don't know why. It could be Carrie Andrews' busy schedule, yeah. but it's going to be called Iron Fists. Interesting. And I'm really excited for that. So you Okay, so I think I've, I've adequately described just how big of an Iron Fist fanboy that I am. Um, I'm few more years removed from the fraction brewbreaker aha run of iron fist and the immortal weapons and even uh the swearinski run uh yeah swearinski and, and foreman. travel foreman would you recommend that i go back and read this thing cover to cover for the immortal iron fist or for iron for, fist? for 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 iron fist the living weapon absolutely uh i'm a huge carrie andrews fan and i ha- i had had enough time removed from all that okay that i was able to go into this with not only just fresh eyes on the character in general uh-huh. but but having that that fanboy element of like this creator I really like is going to actually tackle a character that I also really like. Okay. So I had this combination of awesome that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Well then, you know, based on that, I think I'm going to give the book another try. I think I just, I think that book deserves another try because again, I totally understood that Carrie Andrews is a fantastic creator and uh, I, I need to give that book another shot. Now, one I didn't read was the one that came after it, which came after Secret Wars, uh-huh. was David Walker and Sanford Green's uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, which is kind of a buddy cop throughout the city of New York, and that didn't really that didn't really speak to me. It seemed like it was they were playing it for yucks a little bit, and I I, I get what they where they were going with it. And I, I like the look and the feel of the book. Yeah, it, the it, art was really good. It was it, it, it was a neat looking book, but you're right. It just it fell flat to me. I don't know why. Maybe because I don't live in the city. I don't have those issues. It it just didn't hit me in the. For me, I didn't. I wasn't like I told you. If there's something that comes out and I, it doesn't appeal to me. I just ignore it. And I kind of ignored this book just simply because it wasn't the Danny Rand I wanted. Yeah. And I'm sure it might have been great, and it might have worked for other people. Right. But it was hamburger when I wanted pizza. Oh, fair enough. You know, and that's that kind of describes how I wanted the Kari Andrews book to be. 
I was definitely in the mood for something that was like authentic mainland Chinese food. I didn't really want General Tso's chicken. Okay, (laughs) I I understand that. And I, you know, just to help extend the metaphor there. So, and by the time the Sanford Green and who was the other creator on that? Uh, David Walker. David Walker wrote it. Um, it, 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 I, I guess I just decided to give Iron Fist a break in my mind for a little while. Um, now there's a new book that just came out. Well, they do the whole, re, like, kind of we tackled in the last episode, right. the relaunching of number ones, especially when right. media comes out. Yep. And when they announced the team, like, I haven't read a whole lot of stuff Ed Brisson's done. Neither have I. I um, haven't read. I, in fact, I can pretty honestly say I don't think I've read a single thing Ed Brisson's done. Um, Not good or bad. I'm just saying I haven't read read his work before. But Mike Perkins was what sold me on this book. Uh, Mike Perkins was key in Brubaker's Captain America run. Mm -hmm. Uh, Him and uh, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, is that how you say his name? Aguirre-Sacasa. Aguirre-Sacasa did uh, The Stand for a long time. Um, He's such a quality creator. Didn't Mike Perkins do that Union Jack miniseries that Sabra and Arabian Night Co- co-starred in. Yeah, I yeah. believe so. Oh, my God. I love that book. Who wrote that? Is uh, that Brew Baker? No, I think... Wait, are you talking... The only one I know about is the Ben Rab John Cassidy. No, there was another Union Jack there miniseries was? that, that oh, Mike Perkins okay. did the art on. I, I do remember that. That came out around the time of Brew Baker's Captain America yes, thing. Because, because Iron he, Fist and Spitfire had just guest starred. Or no, it was Union Jack and Spitfire. I, didn't I say Union Jack? No, you said Iron Fist. I'm oh fuck. Well, we've been at it for a while. It's I an Iron you. Fist episode, so yeah. you know I get I get one mulligan. But Union Jack and Spitfire had just had just guest starred in a lengthy run of of Cap in London, if I remember right. Yeah, and then you know there there was there was I I just loved it. It was like a three or four issue miniseries. Yeah, it that, was it was great. Yeah. Oh, Perkins could just draw the shit out of modern day London. It and, was so great. Yeah. So Perkins on this book. Uh, I read the first episode. What did you, or first episode? Jesus, <laughs> I read the first, first issue. I read the first issue. Yeah. What did you think of the first issue, Jim? Okay, so truth be told, now I'm okay. I I decided to give this book a chance, and I'm and I'm so far I'm in. I will say that much. I can't really give it more of an up or down vote, like five stars or you know it's a ten out of ten. I, I can't give you, you that. Give kind it of, an interested. I'm an interested in it because what it reminds me of is. While it doesn't lean too much into Eastern influences, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It kind of reminded me of those late 80s, early 90s, kind of like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies where there's the... I see it. There's sort of the pit fighter because Danny Rand, you find out the first issue of the Ed Brisson, Mike Perkins book, is disconnected from his chi power for some reason. And well, that's because of the destruction of Kunlun. Or the destruction of Kunlun. Okay, because I didn't read The Living Weapon. I was, I was missing on that piece. So anyway, so Danny Rand has been cut off from his chief since the events of, of The Living Weapon. He's, been, he's just gone on walkabout at this point as Danny Rand, throwing himself into one pit-fighting arena to a cage-fighting arena. to you know, Basically, he's trying to fight his way back to his chief. And it reminded me a lot of like movies like Kickboxer or American Ninja, where it has the really bad synth track to it. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't be as interested in this book if it wasn't Mike Perkins on the artwork for it. <laughs> My, I wasn't impressed. And part of this, I, I give it a fair shake because I was reading The Immortal Weapons mm-hmm. when this came out. And there's such... I was at a point in the book right between... 
it was around the time that Fraction was leaving and around the time that Swierzynski was coming on, but Iron Fist was such a hopeful character at the end of the Seven Capital Cities of Heaven story where he sets up a nonprofit, he wants to employ Luke Cage, and he's just moved in with Misty Knight. And, I mean, he's such a hopeful character, and he's happy about where he is in life, and he's doing good shit. And then I get this book... Like, while I'm in the middle of reading all this, I get this book that's dreary and depressing. And it's really dark. And and it's extremely dark. And I'm just like, this isn't the Danny Rand I want or know. And and, and I think that's a fair cop going from where you finished reading his story to where you pick up this story. You know, again, I'm I'm not sold on this book except for three. I I give every book that I buy a three-issue time trial. Um at the time of this recording, the second issue has come out. I have not read it yet. I did read it, though. Okay. I am going to give a little bit. It's not going to be a spoiler. Yeah. I will say this. Uh, Iron Sanford Green designed uh, a tracksuit, more yeah. or less, for Iron Fist. Which, With a pop collar. Yeah, which and. works in the Sanford Green style. I feel like he pulls it off. The art looks good in the pages of Power Man and Iron Fist. The but... O- the I'm only s- problem is when Mike Perkins draw the, draws this, he's very realistic, and it looks hideous. It probably would have served the character better to have him more in the David Aha, you know, sort of the, the Bruce Lee-inspired, just sleek, one-piece Iron Fist with the yellow dragon symbol on the well, front. Well, shit, I think, I think they should have had him go shirtless, do the... Do the uh, the, the tide, rag the tide mask the rag and then do uh, you know he could have like the green pants and the wraps around his sure. feet something like that because the tracksuit they bring the tracksuit and it plays a, a heavy part in the second issue and it just it looks laughable I'll I'll have to look and I at have it. a hard time taking it seriously yeah I'm gonna read it this weekend and then we'll we'll talk about it on a future podcast but you know right now it's it's. You know, it's I'm sort of fifty fifty. You know, I'm gonna they're gonna need to do something to t- to bring me in, and they've got another issue past two to give me a to give me a place to go with it. So, well, now that we've caught up with the current Iron Fist state of affairs in comics, right? I think now is kind of a good chance to break off. Yep. Let our audience digest. Hopefully, they can get caught up with the comics we've talked about. Hopefully, they finish the Iron Fist series. Right. And then we can go into part two where we cover Iron Fist in the media. Exactly. Now, for our, our listening audience, we are not this will not be episode eleven. This will be episode ten point one. Fuck <laughs> so, yeah. We're borrowing Marvel that's shit right. now. We are marketing ourselves as like Marvel geniuses here. So it'll be episode ten point one because we did promise a revisitation of uh, creator-owned books for our 11th episode, and we are going to stick to that. So we'll be airing... um, Airing. (laughs) Publishing? Publishing. Posting. Posting. There we go. We're going to be posting episodes 7 and 11 together. So the same day, you'll get two podcasts dropping just like you're going to get two podcasts dropping this coming Tuesday. so Yeah, we're really lengthy. I don't know if you've ever listened to this before, yeah, but we talk a little bit, we, and this one kind of... Uh, this, this one we got really fucking excited got, about because there's so much cool shit. There really is, and, and honestly, we were both super hella confused at the beginning of this episode because I'm sitting there trying to read my notes between the transition of the Jim Owsley run to the John Byrne Namor 
uh, Iron Fist saga, and I'm sitting there going, what the fuck am I even reading here? It's confusing as fuck. All I know is it got us to the point where we could get the immortal Iron Fist. And uh, go to your favorite local comic shop, kids. Get the complete Iron Fist Volume 1. The complete Immortal Iron Fist Volume 1 by Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and David Aha. I think uh, Hollingsworth was on that Oh, he did colors, and he set such a great tone. Dope. It was so good. And and Hollingsworth Colors, we like to talk colorists up on, on this he podcast. He is legendary, in my opinion. He's done such great work, and I cannot talk him up enough. Uh, because he really considers the story that is being told to match the color palette, too. He's and, colored Steve Dillon yeah. and done great and made Steve Dillon look great. And then he also colored... Uh, the Brubaker and Bendish runs on Daredevil, yep, sure did. which is a complete night and day thing. Yeah, almost literally. Um, yeah, almost literally. <laughs> you know? So I think talking the comics, Iron Fist is a good place to end this podcast right now. And then uh, I'm going to say go ahead and pick up volume two with Dwayne Swierzynski's run and Travel Foreman's run. Well, Travel Foreman stuff wasn't really my thing. I feel like Dwayne Swierzynski does a, a solid job continuing it. I'm probably going to reread that stuff and see. I got the whole thing. Um, there was stuff in it I liked, but I didn't like it as, enough, uh, as much as I did the first 14, 15 issues. I'll go with you on that. There's 16 issues, but I, I should say. Yeah, but I think it was a, a decent continuation. Yeah, and I think you're right, but I think I do just, I think that that uh, that author and that um, even Foreman, for that matter, they deserve a, a another look, I think. So, I'm going to go do that. Adam's going to go read um, books that he likes more than the current Iron Fist book. <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and reread the uh, Burn Claremont stuff uh, from from the original Iron Fist. From the 1970s, yeah. yo. Yeah, so, when they launched a solo series. I'm going to go read that stuff. So you do that. Then we're going to tell you to go read whatever comics you want, but definitely recommend some Iron Fist comics. And then when we come back with episode 10.1, we're going to do nothing. Unpack, oh my God, the Iron Fist TV series. Uh, Look, I'm not going to make it sound as grim as that. I am not the television critics who have done nothing but shit all over that TV series and the work of the creators and actors on that, on that series. Um, but there were definite challenges. I think that's, that's the tease that I want to leave it on. Would you agree, Adam? I would, I would say so. And not only are there challenges within the storytelling, but we will also tackle a little bit of the political challenges that the show, well, so the sociological challenges that the shows brought up. Yeah, um, there was a lot of talk um, from all sides of the political spectrum. Um, you know, you have people who, like me, grew up with Iron Fist and wanted Danny Rand and wanted what they saw on the comics page translated on the screen. And then there was, there was a, a very vocal element that, that thought, saw this as a great opportunity because of the history of whitewashing in Hollywood and, um, you know, with char- characters that should be of uh, Asian descent. Um, or but, just or just played heavy-handedly. But we don't want to give too much away here, Jim. I, I'm I'm going to withhold my my vigor on this particular issue, um, so that we can bring this up on our television dissection, uh, the uh, for the Iron Fist TV series. So, um, you read your comics. We're going to read our comics, and when you're done with your comics, come back. 
and uh, finish the Immortal Iron or finish Iron Fist. It's just Marvel Netflix Iron Fist. Come back. We'll talk about it. Then. So I'm not going to sign off with my signature phrase because you're going to be coming back. Right. And when we continue the episode, then I might finish it off with that. We might that. So we're going to actually sign off with come hear us on episode 10.1 of the Graphic Content Podcast. Adam, where can the kids find you online? As always, the kids can find me at Adam S. Messinger, M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think there's a couple other things. Uh, Google+, whatever. YouTube. Um, I've... I've got music up there. I've got yeah. I'm on Bandcamp. Yeah, you do. You do all the music. So stuff. yeah, I well a lot of it's old at this point, but uh, yeah, that's where you can find me on the internet. Can you can you maybe do some theme music for us? I'm not that you? good. I'm a solo guy that just plays the bass. Can't you go just you know strum the guitar and go graphic content? You know? I I can, but I'm not going to guarantee it's going <laughs> to sound good. I won't guarantee quality. Well, as you've discovered on this podcast, I have next to no physical or musical ability whatsoever. So uh, you can find me online at Jimmers with three M's on Twitter, at Jimmers with five M's on Instagram, because some asshole took a few more um, a few more uh, M's from me than he should have. Uh, I am on Facebook at Jim Mason. Um, yeah, come so- come hit us up online and and let us not forget Adam. That we have the graphic content Twitter account, which is at graphic podcast. We have our Gmail account, which we want to put out there, which is the real T H E R E A L dot graphic podcast at gmail.com, or the Meister of our Instagram account over here is uh, graphic po- graphic content dot podcast. Yes. So and then on Facebook we're sl- backslash graphic content podcast. Yes, I believe we are. So. Or you can just do a search for graphic content podcast, and we're the ones with the uh, red and blue word balloons that say graphic content. Yes. So we're all over and we're active, and we want to be interactive with you guys. Yeah. So hit us up on any one of those socials, or hell. Make a new social. Chances are we'll join it and uh, yeah. get us up that way too. So until episode 10.1, we will say, listen to us next time.